You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April Margulies and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. All right, let's start with the what not to do. And today's what not to do is what not to do during an account kickoff call. I have ah. a few ideas for this, but I'm sure you have others. All right. Well, I think first, just in case, you know, there's some non-PR people, what if we explain what a well, client a kickoff idea. call is? That's a great idea. So Laura, a client kickoff call, as you know, is when you have a brand new account and you're meeting with the client for the first time and essentially you're going over all of the priorities with the account team in place. This is sort of a first account team meeting that- Right, so you have the client. You have the client. You haven't started the engagement really. You're officially starting the engagement now. Okay. And so some people from the account team may have been part of a new business process. They might not have, they might be introducing themselves for the first time. It just depends on the agency and the client and how things went. So essentially it should be the account team introducing themselves if they haven't already met the client or the members who haven't, and then going through, Hey, here's the priorities as we understand it from the business development team. Here's what we propose doing. Here are the things we need from you to get going in terms of assets. And then also at the end of it, there should be some housekeeping about, okay, here's the cadence of how we're going to communicate. And sometimes if it's a longer client kickoff call and the new business process was abrupt, it can be more of an exploratory call as well, where you're kind of asking the client for additional information that you need to be able to pitch them and do the job. Did I miss anything? I mean, I think maybe also a time to have that new client almost run through one of their sales decks or their pitch decks and, you know, asking all kinds of questions, but you should come to this kickoff call with a fairly long agenda. And this meeting can go on for two hours, right? Easily. And these things used to happen in person, but haven't for a while. So this is a long Zoom call. So you have to remember that ahead of time. So make sure you've eaten already and that the bathroom cleared, right. You've cleared your schedule and that your background isn't crazy. And you're wearing something professional, right? Make make a good first impression. Like pants, not slap at the baseman t-shirt. Like I have on. Don't eat your blueberries. Don't eat eat entire colander of blueberries while on the call. Okay. So I would say one thing to not do is don't show up to this kickoff call with the client, not having done any research on what they do. You should not be asking what their pricing is. Anything basic that's on their website, don't ask, right? You should know that they're a client now you know, I would say try to ask things that are a little higher level that can't be easily found by 
looking research. at their website. Right. Yeah, doing a little bit of, I mean, and I'm not talking spending three hours, I'm talking 30 minutes right. or less, right? Just doing a little bit of research to see what the client does. Right. And even if you're a junior team member, if you're gonna speak up and ask a question, same thing applies even if you're not leading the call. Cause you wanna make sure you're not asking a question that you should know the answer to because you looked at their website. Yeah, you should, and you should also remember that you are the authority, you are the expert that hires you for a reason. So you should be coming to this meeting, not asking them what they think that they should be doing, but telling them what you think that they should be doing for, you know, communications, PR, and whatever else they have brought you on board, if it's social media. So you don't want to sort of be like, well, what do you guys think? I mean, I know that sounds like maybe crazy to say, but I've seen it happen. So, you know, have that discussion ahead of time or make sure that your senior most person or your most experienced in that industry person is ready to speak very academically and informatively about what you guys can and will do for them. Yes. And it, with that said, it's okay to ask them what their, you know, dream media list is or something right. like that. Or what their business goals are. That's fine. Right. You're not a mind reader, but don't also not have a list of things you think they should be in. Right. So I don't, don't just show up with no idea of where you think they should go and then ask them what media list they want to be in. The other thing I would say is when you're introducing yourself, because usually there's this sort of round robin approach of we all go around and explain what we do. First of all, don't get in the weeds about all of your background, right? They don't, it doesn't need to be your full resume. They just want to know, hey, I'm April Margulies. I've been in PR for about two decades. I've worked on a number of, and then list the kinds of accounts or industry clients that you've worked on that are relevant to that client. Don't list the whole laundry list. Don't list if you've done nonprofit and arts and entertainment and health and wellness and they're a tech company, I would just leave out anything that isn't directly relevant to them, right? Or if it's the other way around, right? It just, just kind of curate what your bio is to show why you're the expert on the phone right. with them rather than giving them the full- I Right, exactly. So you, like me, I whatever, have done all different kinds of industries with clients that are big and small and here, there, and everywhere, you don't want it. They don't care really about that. You can say to them, I have been focused on PR and it's been my career for over 20 years. They get that you're so that you're a senior person with a lot of experience. Then, right. You want to say, and the way that my experience applies to you is I've worked in your industry. I've worked with your competitors. I don't know your professional services firm. And I did law firm you know, PR, which is very similar to your accounting firm PR or whatever, and maybe give them a little story about whatever work that you've done applies to them. And I would err to the side of saying less than more. So yeah. if you're, you know, I mean, don't tell them you're moving to Spain this summer. Don't tell them, you know, I mean, keep it really short because they just want to know why are you here as the expert on this team? Why are you a good team member for me? And what's your role on the team? That's what they want to know. They don't want to know all of the gory details of like all the things that you've done in the past and are doing in the future. So just keep it sweet to the point, move it on and say, I've been doing this for a long time, worked on a number of accounts in the blank industry. 
And I'm really excited about working on your brand because why? And so it should be something authentic. You know, I'm a, I'm a musician myself. So I'm really excited about working on an entertainment platform that promotes live music streaming, whatever, right? Like whatever it is that, or, you know, I really like that you guys are doing this X, Y, Z thing different or something that speaks to why, what they're doing inspires you, because that's the other thing they want to know. They want to know, A, are you qualified to work on my account? And B, why do you want, do you want to? And so those are the two things you want to address. Yeah. Right. And so is there anything else not to do? I guess I always, these segments are what not to do. And I'm like, well, this is what you should do. So what not to do is not answer, you know, the question posed. Well, the, what not to do is show up with having done zero research, mm -hmm. say way too much about your personal background when you're doing an introduction or about things that are not relevant to this client. The other what not to do that I have seen also is let the client steer this meeting. Oh, yeah. Now, it's important that you let them talk. You're there to get information from them, but they're not running the show. And you want to set the from the beginning that you're the one in charge. You're running the show. This is what we need from you. And keep it to a clip, right? So don't let them drone on and on and on and on about things that aren't really helping you. Mm -hmm. You know, be polite, listen, and then say, okay, great. I think we got everything we need there. Let's move on to the assets that we need now. Do you guys have yeah. headshots? Do you have bios? Do you have high res images, high res logos? We're going to need all that. You know, do you prefer to communicate on Slack, on email? Or is a biweekly call good for you? What are some good times? Like, just keep it, right. keep it going yeah. because you don't want to get to the end of the call. All the time is gone. And there was no discussion of any of those things. It was just like, well, right. Cause you really want to use this time wisely. Not, yeah. not just to drone on you. Yeah. It's a working meeting to get a lot done. Yeah. You don't just so talk. The other talk thing not to do is don't let the junior members of your team who are on there fade off into the background. Like they need to have a role and they need to participate. Somebody needs to be taking notes. And then afterwards, don't forget to send a wrap-up email saying, this is what we're going to do and this is what you need to provide us with. I mean, this is a really serious, important meeting. Well, it sets the tone for the entire engagement. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's sort of like a first date. You have to make a good impression. You have to show up and be totally present. If you're thinking about this is a long-term relationship, you've already decided you're dating. This is your first date. And it better go well. So you got to make sure the stage is set for a successful relationship throughout the entire engagement. You know, maybe don't be petting your cat the whole time. Oh, <laughs> unless, well, no, not even, I was going to say, what if it's like a pet product? But even then it's a professional, unless your cat is participating in a I meaningful mean, way. Pets definitely interrupt things. That's fine. But don't actively be snuggling with your animal. Oh, <laughs> anything else no i think that's it perfect so shall we move on we shall all right cool so our guest today is sophia coom and she's an account director here at trust relations with over 10 years of experience overseeing complex media relations pr programs global strategic planning for technology and healthcare organizations 
And she is both an absolute dynamo at managing teams, but also at getting huge placements. So, and actually in client wrangling too. So welcome, Sophia. We're excited to have you. Hey, everyone. Hola. So, <laughs> so Sophia, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I know that you have experienced both freelancing and also as part of a virtual agency, Trust Relations, and I think you've worked for some other agencies as well. What are the advantages and disadvantages to working solo as a freelancer versus as part of a team? Oh, that's a good question. I like that one. <laughs> well, I think the one thing I would say is I'm really thankful that I started in an agency setting. So having, you know, the office that you were going to every day, the people that you knew that you could rely on for mentorship you know, getting your feet wet, learning as much as possible. So I was sort of molded in that kind of environment to be the PR professional that I am today. Mm -hmm. And now having all of that experience and being able to be on my own, you know, it's cool to say I'm kind of like my own boss in a way, but I feel confident in running a program no matter who it's for and where it is. And now I'm sort of giving myself the opportunity to create choice around who I want to work with, which is also one of my favorite things about working at, at trust as well. So I think that that foundation is really important. And if people can do that, I think that that will set them up for even more success in the future. But, you know, if you need that flexibility, if you need to be able to create your own schedule and work around things that you have happening in your personal life, freelancing gives you the opportunity to do that and you have even more of a say about who you're working on and how you do things and how you run programs if you have preferences that becomes your own choice and you're representing yourself as well as the folks that you choose to work with yeah I, I would say for me I didn't have exactly that experience when I was freelancing though because I would take everything that came my way because I never knew when the freelance work was going to dry up I was working on a bunch of things that if, if I were cherry picking things, I wouldn't have been doing because I was trying to just fill my days with enough work to make enough money. I guess I would add to that, you know, when I started doing this a little over a year ago, I did have that same mindset that I wanted to get to know as many people as possible and take on everything just to continue to build that network. So I did say yes to a lot of different types of clients up front, but once I started making relationships with different agencies and people that had work that they really needed help with, if it worked out really well, I've grown with those agencies. And if it didn't work out, you know, I was empowered enough to say, no, this isn't working, Bye. but that's okay. <laughs> you know, I'm going to work with who seems to fit well and, and yeah. gels and is something that I want to work on on a daily basis. And I'm, I'm really thankful that I can do that. Yeah. I know for me personally too, there's something really nice about working on a client all by yourself because everything is cohesive. So, I mean, I found that it was in some ways really nice because you got really integrated and felt like you were an extension of that in-house team, whatever that was when you were freelancing. Whereas with an agency, you don't always have the same feeling of continuity, even though obviously everyone tries to do that. 
I also found that there were things that other people excelled at or brought to the table that I thought I was doing everything I could for a client. And then when I interfaced with someone else, I was like, oh, they would be doing that. So there is like that funny dynamic between the client gets more consistent one-on-one personal service, but there's might also- be missing. That you might be missing, you might be a little myopic in your approach or your media list or, you know, whatever it is Yeah. in a way that you wouldn't be if you had a team. What I would say, because I similarly, I did this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. We all have like similar experiences and I took, you know, anything and everything kind of also, I mean, (laughs) I guess I turned a couple of things down and usually it was because they were a client who was like, hey, we'll give you equity or hey, you know, if we start making money, so will you. And I'm like, you know what? I need money now, not maybe then. And I'm so happy I didn't take any of those because those rarely work out. I mean, there are not very many, you know, Googles in the world or something, you know, knowing me, I've been like, Google, that's a stupid name. I'm not working with them. But, (laughs) But you know what I mean? So, but the good part about what I did take on and I did take on clients for low rates, for kind of questionable, where is this going? What's going on here? But I took a few of them on. And then I took other clients on that were great. I don't even know how they sort of landed in my lap, you know? And the best part about all of it to me was as I continued to do my own thing and look for other kinds of opportunities, I was building up experience and I was building up clients in like maybe new or different industries or, or industries I hadn't worked in for 20 years mm-hmm. that I could then talk to the next person about, oh, I'm working with a client in real estate, or I'm working with a boutique agency, or I'm working that I wouldn't have had before. So while some people told me to be very, very particular about what I took on and not to lowball myself and all of that, and I get that. And that works for some people. And maybe it would have worked for me too, but I turned the way I did it into something that got me better and better and got me along to where I am now. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't done all of that, I don't really see how I would have gotten to where I got as fast as I did. If I was sort of sitting around or only working on one kind of client, like I wouldn't have had as much breadth of experience, which would not have allowed me to be as confident to speak about what I had been doing. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. The other thing I found, I don't know if Sophia feels the same way, if just things are just happening for her <laughs> in her life, but I found doing my own business development as a freelancer so painful. I found like pitching myself to be really awkward and then spending a bunch of time trying to find clients and just not knowing which one of them were going to land. And then you, you have to take it personally. Cause it's just you. If like something you know, like, or if something goes south, that's like completely your fault. Like there's no, Oh, well, the team didn't, we did our best. It's like, well, I screwed up. I mean, it's the same reason I didn't like to play singles tennis. I, I preferred doubles tennis because I was way too hard on myself when I played singles tennis. <laughs> I'll be like, I only have myself to blame. I can only play team sports. This is, this is, I just can't. I'm too, it's funny. just way too mean to myself. For me, it started with just reaching out to my network. And okay. I was telling somebody 
the other day, now that I'm in a year into freelancing, for some folks, I'm like three or four people deep in their network meeting people who need help or who can introduce me to other well, people. That's how you find us. Right, nobody- exactly. Yeah. So I've ended up having a lot of luck by feeling confident enough to go out to my network and say, who do you know who needs help? So, I mean, in all honesty, I haven't really tackled going out to businesses myself and saying, I want to solo run your PR. But I think the way that I've ended up doing it and in, in working with folks like you that are finding those pieces of business, I'm able to help because you need that support. Yeah, no, and it's especially fun. I mean, I find it easier doing business development for the agency because I get to pitch how awesome the team is. Yeah. And it doesn't feel so self-congratulatory, but I found pitching myself as a freelancer odious. (laughs) I just way too, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I have story points that I talk about myself and my experience and why I think I'd be a good fit for working with a group but I feel like I've repeated the same thing and just added over the last 10 years and it's like on a record player so at this point I you know I don't even have to think about it anymore it's like ingrained in me exactly what I feel like I need to tell people (laughs) right right, right. have you ever used a record player yes (laughs) I have I also really like talking about myself. So maybe that's <laughs> It's funny that you say that. That's... So you're built for it. Right. <laughs> I know you also just put together a beautiful website. Can you talk a little bit about how to market yourself as a freelancer? Sure. For me, even though I'm working mainly through other agencies or folks that are gaining the business, what was really important to me is that I could represent myself Not that I wasn't doing it professionally before, but with something that just felt a little bit more solid and and concrete. So now I can actually go to people and say, hey, check out, you know, sophiacatherine.com and you can see everything that's on there. And it's like a portfolio and information on if I happen to be someone that maybe you would want to work with. It's just all in one really great place. And I have branding, but it's more of like a, here's a personal logo that means something about me versus actually like a branding for a a business. So, I mean, I have a name and, and all of that, but it's just really nice to have something to like share with people and be really proud of including my agency on in-house work, having all of that to be able to, to share. So thus far in having it out. I mean, I just make sure that I share it on LinkedIn. And if people are looking for folks, I'm not afraid to post it in different places. Cause if it's out there, it's out there. It can't hurt. Like the worst that someone could say is no, we don't need anybody right now. So yeah, you know, it feels good to have something to, to put out there and to be able to share. So, so everyone should check out her website. If you're a freelancer, you're trying to figure out what to do with yourself. Laura, I feel like you should ask me a question. I feel like April's been doing all the. I know. (laughs) It's because April knew I was eating my blueberries. But but look, I ate them all. So what are you going to do now? Like two pints. I don't know. I got to get the cherries. But then there's pits. I feel like you're going to turn into your cat and you're just going to sit on the counter and stare at yourself all day long and ask for food. (laughs) Oh my gosh. 
god i'm trying to eat more fruits and vegetables so have you worked at a big agency at all yet like in-house yeah Yeah. so my career started at large global agencies and then over the years it got smaller and smaller so i was at msl group for the first two years of my career Mm -hmm. i did just about everything under the sun to your point and you know varying what you were working on to get as much skill sets as possible then I went to a mid-sized local agency in Boston and then a startup that didn't even have a PR branch yet so got to build that from the ground up for a little while and then said let's go in-house and then got the in-house experience and then that was an experience including (laughs) learning what it's like to get laid off from a company yep and then here we here we are also, I mean, let's be honest, like you kind of have to go where the jobs are at or where the economy is going. So, but to me, working for the very big agencies that are, you know, in a publicly traded holding company, not fun as a yeah. more senior person, because you're kind of beholden to stock price stuff that you're like, wait a minute, what? Like, I, that's not why I got into this business, you know? Yeah. I felt like I was a number for a little while. Like it was more about what you were doing for your clients versus what my experience was and how I could improve on those teams. So after a while, I felt like I had to take it upon myself to move somewhere where I could receive more attention and mentorship in order to push forward. Well, it is something that April has talked about also that when you're at a big agency and yeah, you're kind of a number because- you might be put on clients that you have no knowledge of or interest in or anything and tough. Yeah. And they might say, and you've got to, you know, travel to Oklahoma city every Tuesday for the next 12 months. And you're like, what, you know, like, yeah, yeah they can ask you for a lot. So yeah. it just depends on whether you really want to take that experience and run with it or not. So, right. Or have a little more control over what you do and how you do it. Yeah. So what are the advantages to working for a really big agency versus a really small startup? Like I said earlier, I feel like I'm where I am because I have that foundation. So in a larger place, they have the people and the power and the wherewithal to potentially train you in an entry level and you know, really ingrain in you their specific way of how you handle clients and what that represents for them as an agency. So, I mean, I'm sure if I look at the way that I run things on a team now, a lot of that is probably branded with some little bit of MSL in there, but also my favorite way of things that I've learned over the last few years. So I would say that that's probably an advantage. Mm -hmm depending on the agency mentorship can vary, but it was really important to me that I had people that I could talk to and that, you know, had the time to sit and listen and understand that as a 20 something, I had the aspiration and the desire to grow as quickly as possible, but do it in such a way so that I was going to have the best skills possible, but I needed to find the place that was going to let me do that. So that became my priority once I felt like I had the the foundation to do so. For me, it was just finding in those two to three year steps, what was actually going to help me go where I wanted to go. And each, each size had its own advantage for me. 
just like, you know, a lot of people say for college, it's what you make it. So I tried to do that with my positions as well. I like that. Okay. My last question for you. Okay. What color is that nail polish? (laughs) It's amazing. Blue. Is it really blue? It looks like turquoise green. Lime uh, it's like a light, light blue. And then there is some sparkle on one nail. <laughs> but I had my bridal shower this weekend. So I needed some blue in there. I Ooh. love it. <laughs> it's so pretty. Well, anything else you want to ask us or plug or any other final questions from Laura? Are you writing a book? Am I writing a book? That would be really cool if I was. I read a lot of books. I mean, if someone wanted to like tag team and write one with me, I would totally find a PR topic to do that. Yeah, so right. What would it be? If you could write a book or a PR book, what would it be about? I feel like it would be like a PR survival guide. Like that encouraging book that you always try to find about how you can live life positively, but in the eyes of doing a really crazy job like PR. Like, like step in on day one. Here's all the really crazy stuff that's going to happen to you. But if you love PR, that means that you can do it. (laughs) I don't know. But that would be really cool. I read enough that I feel like I would love to do that, but I'd need a writer with me for sure. Mm, All right. Well, put it out there to the universe. Hit me up on my website if you want to write a book with me. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Thanks, That's Laura. That's great. You're welcome. I like Let's it. manifest that. <laughs> so I've manifested awesome. crazier things. That's awesome. Insane. And the name for some of PR them, I wish that I could take back. But <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. You do what you can do to survive. So. It all makes a good story, and isn't That's that what we really care story. about as PR people? Correct. Amazing. Well, I think that's a good note to end it on. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sophia. Adios. Bye. Do I leave? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bye, guys. (laughs) I think we should leave that in there. That was hilarious. That was funny. Okay. Who wants to read the horror stories? I do. I do. Okay, go for it. Hey, Laura and April. I have always wanted to send you one of these, and now it's my time to shine. I regret wishing for it. The agency I work at has a work chat dedicated to reporter tweets. Some of them are pitching preferences, career moves, yada, yada, but everyone's favorites are the PR roasts. You know, that thing where a journal will tweet about the stupid mistakes a PR person has made or bad pitches they've been spammed with? Yes. When one of those shows up in somebody's feed, They link it and the whole agency roasts the PR mistake. Sometimes it's funny. Well, today it wasn't funny. I was pitching my third announcement this month for a very busy client. As I was cranking away at sending out my pitches, I realized I had sent the wrong pitch from the wrong announcement a week ago to a contact at a major tech publication. It was a copy paste sin on my part Anyway, I was too slow to recall the email and I figured this tough nut to crack guy wasn't going to open my pitch anyway. The next day he tweeted something along the lines of, 
Nothing like an expired embargo pitch in my inbox Monday morning to remind me why I'd rather die than go into PR. Ooh. Pro tip, news isn't news if it happened last week. Check your pitches, idiots. I was too embarrassed to out myself as the entire agency roasted the mystery idiot who pitched an old embargo. No advice needed, just sympathy, I guess. My lesson is learned. Oh, is that the mm. end? That's it with a, no. a sad face. No. Oh, of course, like the reporter has never opened this person's pitch ever. And then like the one time they make a mistake or maybe it shows that the guy or, or gal opens pitches all the time. Well, first of all, to whoever wrote this, don't feel that bad. These things happen. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the most conscientious publicists. It's not a reflection of you and your talent and your ability to, to do this profession. So you're good. I will tell you that when I have caught myself in the past making mistakes, whether it's cutting, pasting the wrong first name Mm -hmm. or not finishing customizing the right. pitch with the correct name of the outlet or like god knows it's not that it's happened to me a lot but there have been that handful of times and i remember each one of them because it was so horrific and i will tell you this if you email to apologize to the reporter it can never go wrong right because worst case scenario is there'd be like well that was dumb but that took a lot of balls to come clean and like admit the mistake and at least they caught their mistake so it can be endearing and i think i've said this on other podcasts it, yeah. can, be, it can be endearing if you're just human like i'm just trying to do my job i'm so sorry i was moving too fast i had a bad day i hadn't had my coffee whatever right like it doesn't you can just totally out yourself and be I've been eating blueberries it. for a week Right. I'm on a diet and I can't think straight. Like I, I've been fasting for 40, whatever right. it is, right? Like these things happen. Maybe don't tell them you want to bender the night before. Maybe you do, depending on the reporter, right? So, I mean, I think it's just important to just know that they know you're human, especially if you point it out to them that you're human. I think I wouldn't have told the agency either that I was. Oh man, I don't think so either. <laughs> think I would have told them of all the um, PR people in the world it was like somebody in that firm right I mean I guess you could explain I don't know I think I wouldn't tell the reporter either since he already tweeted it if you caught it before he tweeted it I would right. have called yourself out on it but now I would probably just avoid him like the plague until he moves to a new publication or if you're female and you get married and take your husband. I was going to say, change your name. Oh my God. Change your name someday. You know what though? If you want to get creative, you can email anybody anytime you want. Maybe you make some sort of funny thing about the tweet and write to him, was it a him, about the tweet and say, Something like, oh my God, I was laughing with my the other people in my agency about like what a moron this person must be when I realized it was me and say, thank you for pointing my mistake out to me on Twitter. It will never happen again. Humbly your servant in PR. 
don't send me your resume. I don't know. Yeah, I think you could pull that off if you explain to them what happened to the guy. I think you could pull that off. What was the thing that he said? I'd rather die than go into PR. You could probably come up with a joke about that. <laughs> Normally I would say I'd rather die than see my pitch on one of your right because I, exactly. I follow you avidly to make fun of other publicists and i cannot believe like i'm dead but i guess it proves that right we're all- and that's the subject you put in i'm dead and then you say that i think that would be funny and then maybe you become his favorite stupid pr person but i would give it a month or two maybe before you do that oh really yeah. you would do it right away strike while the t- iron's hot. what if he tweets about you again well, then you just be like, well, now you're being a jerk because I'm admitting that my mistake and I'm saying that you're kind of funny for calling me out. That's true. Okay, so maybe-, maybe I'm going to have to reap what I sow. If I'm laughing at other people who you skewer, then I got to laugh at myself too, brother. <laughs> so anyway, the bottom line is to the person who did this, that what you did is really not that bad, actually. Obviously, you- accidentally sent something to him if he thought that you were like trying to pitch him old news and he's kind of dumb or looking you know for something to tweet about because he had nothing else to do so i mean there's way worse stuff that you could have done than like sent the wrong pitch to a guy i'm telling you that's on the very low end of things that can go wrong wouldn't you say yeah i agree also it's a good lesson why maybe mocking other publicists and their mistakes bad karma might be bad karma. All righty. I think we did that one. Ooh, the Laura Happy Dance. Did you hear the car driving by? I was dancing because somebody was there blasting their radio. Oh, no, I thought their it car, was like their car I thought, stereo. I thought the blueberries were just kicking in finally. I'm going to be like, Violet, you're turning Violet. <laughs> you know, and Willy Wonka, she turns into a blueberry. oh god okay shall we move on to pr news of the week sure okay so our pr news of the week is about the fortune ceo postponing a major event after the magazine staffers plan to picket it staffers at the popular business publication fortune plan to strike outside the magazine's first in-person conference in years the daily beast has learned that on tuesday afternoon Unionized Fortune staffers were sent to announce that because of a lack of progress in contract negotiations with magazine management, they plan to picket the Fortune CEO initiative conference set for September 13th and 14th at the Park Hyatt in Washington, D.C. But ahead of the union's announcement of the strike, Fortune CEO Alan Murray wrote in a Tuesday email to all employees he plans to postpone the conference. So we talked about this, right? That they were unionizing to begin with, correct? Yes. We talked all about white collar unions and the the pros and cons of unions. And hopefully this will result in something good for journalists because they deserve it because they don't get paid a lot and they get fired all the time. You know, we have talked (laughs) about that uh, on many podcasts too. So the fact that that quickly they were able to mobilize their union because they didn't like where their contracts stood and basically forced them to have to change this event because they were going to storm the event, I guess, or they were afraid they were going to ruin it. Goes to show the power of unions. Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, I can't even imagine how much money that would cost them to undo and redo. The time 
the time, like the hourly rate or whatever for the yeah, time. No, it I would don't, take. Right, so, yeah. right, exactly. And especially to, to contact all of those executives who are already planning to be speakers. Right. How do you reschedule it without addressing the union for fear it just happens again and you have to bite that cost all over again? So what's the latest on this? Do we know? So prior to the postponement, Fortune had already taken some bizarre steps to avoid a potential public spectacle. After staffers alerted management to plans of a picket, the magazine quietly removed the names of some high-profile Democrats and Biden officials from a website listing the speakers for the conference. That's interesting. I guess they just didn't want those Democrats to be associated with a straight a conference. Yeah, was going to get striked upon. Stri- it's going to be striked. Um, I was going to be stricken. <laughs> And then it says a cached version of the guest list page from this past Sunday, viewable on the Wayback Machine, a digital archiving site, showed a number of powerful speakers, including Walsh, along with former Senator John Kerry, now a climate official in the Biden administration, and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. But the latest iteration of the CEOI website has all of those names scrubbed. That is so weird. Fortune did not respond to a request for a comment about why the names were removed. So then it says Fortune's unionized staffers are represented by the News Guild, a union that counts among its members staffers at the, the New York Lollipop Times. Guild. No, <laughs> the News Guild. We you- represent no the Lollipop, Lollipop Guild. The News Guild. The News Guild. This union counts among its staffers the New York Times, BuzzFeed the Daily Beast, and others. So this is not going away anytime soon. Yeah, so I guess probably they took those Democrats' names off because those Democrats would have freaked. If they didn't freak already and tell them, take my name off, they at least proactively did it, knowing that they wouldn't want to be aligned with some union trouble. No, and especially given that there's all this strange, you know, are the unions red or blue? They used to be blue. Right. Now they're red-ish. Well, I mean, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican once upon a time. Uh, What comes around goes around, all circles back around. And so now part of the people is Republicans. Party people (laughs) to the left, to the left. (laughs) See, I think the blueberries are kicking in. I really do. Oh, God, it's so funny. But that is really interesting. I mean, there's staff picketing events thrown by a media outlet and then causing negative press for both the publication and the participants, potentially. I guess the interesting thing is how many white collar type jobs have had labor unions? I don't know a whole lot about unions, but I always think of them more as, you know, blue collar unions, the UAW or local one in New York city or local 638 steam pipe fitters union in New York and those kinds of things. Is this the first time journalists have had a union? I doubt it, but I don't actively remember off the top of my head any others. Yeah. I mean, maybe they did in 1920. I don't know. So it's sort of a different thing to have white collar union because you don't work by the hour usually, right? You're not in danger in the same way as you are when you're like 
you know, welding steel in a factory or on the 90th floor of a building. I think that a lot of those kinds of jobs had unions because they really had to protect the physical well-being of people, you know, to, to be overworked and underpaid. White collar jobs, well, you know, you get a full-time job at a PR firm and you might be working 12 to 15 hours a day and oh, well, you're not getting overtime and that's, you know, you just should be happy you have a job. You can't expect people who are hard laboring, physical labor or flying airplanes or whatever to work those hours because they will die and they will endanger other people. If a PR person, you know, works too many hours, you know, they just are a bitch or something. <laughs> so what do you, yeah, right. So <laughs> what do you think this says about like the culture of newsrooms then? I feel like since the nature of work is changing and the new generation, Gen Z or whatever, is sort of forcing issues, I feel like it makes sense that the time to have a, quote, white collar, highly educated labor union would be now. Because like I was just saying, you get a full-time job and you work when they tell you to work, where they tell you to work, and we talked about it earlier. And that's that. And why? Why is that okay? And so when you go into a job, like into a newsroom, you might be expected to be working night after night after night. If you get put on breaking news or if you get put on some huge story that has a deadline of next Friday and the only way you're going to get it done is if you're working 12, 15 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And journalists don't get paid compared to lawyers and you know bankers. Like they don't get paid anything, right? Mm-hmm. So why is that okay? Just because they have like, a cushy job or a swingy job that they should have no rights and be disallowed from complaining. And you truly are disallowed. If you complain, then you're a problem usually. Right. Right. I mean, it's so, it's super funny to see journalists creating a PR issue for a media outlet. (laughs) Super meta. It does make you think that these media outlets are going to have to keep their staff happy if they're not going to create more unionized workforces that are basically gonna create pr nightmares for them that are gonna then leave and go create sub stacks right exactly which is what's happening basically i think people will always find a way it might take a couple generations to get what they want or need so like the corporate overlords you got to get ahead of the game or you're going to be behind the game. And I think a number of companies are aware of that, but I feel like publishing companies are very old school in that way and are kind of late to the game. I wonder if these big media outlets think they're until now exempt from getting in trouble for these because they're the media. How can you have a PR issue if you're a media corporation? Cause you control the news. <laughs> it's like, right. Well, right. Until your newsmakers control you, i.e. your reporters go out and say, hell no, we won't go. So that's really interesting. I think it's great because it's great that we can live in this country where that is able to happen. And I hope that we keep saying that it benefits journalists and reporters somehow. But like I said, people always find a way, sort of like, you know, if you have a horrible boss and they're like, no, you can't go on vacation or whatever, you know, you always find a way. Okay. Well, I'm going to call in sick then. You know what I mean? Like there's always some way that people are going to find a way around the like, no, cause I said so to get what they want. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we did that one. Good. We Glad it. that we got to it. <laughs> <laughs>
we crush it in the end. Cool. So ready for the closing, Laura? Sure. Okay. Thank you for tuning in for the Pierre Wine Down podcast. And thank you to Sophia for joining us for today's interview. Yes. Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and share our show with your friends and colleagues. If you subscribe and leave us a rating, it will help us reach new listeners like you. And if you have an anonymous PR horror story of your own, send it our way at the contact email below the episode notes. We can't wait to wind down with you again next time. (laughs) I think it's funny when my cat comes inside from outside where it's hot and I have the air on and he comes in and lays in the sun. So he's not cold. Right, that's why my cat lays down there by the refrigerator when it's 90 degrees there. outside to he's get in warm. The sun. He could be back outside, but no, he's kitties. Okay. Inside in the sun. Okay. <laughs>